Let's all pray together. God, it is a delight to behold you. You are worthy for us to gaze upon you for all eternity because you are so beautiful. You are so kind. You are so generous to share the love that you had for all eternity with us. Would you now open our eyes to see your beauty even more clearly in your, our hearts to be delighted in your presence? Open our minds that we may understand the wonder of your glorious truth. May the king be so much sweeter. May our faith in him be stronger because of this time that you have spent with us. Amen. I wondered for a moment this week in my preparations if I should begin my sermon with a song, just break right into song right away. And you guys might think that would be a pretty cool idea. If I broke into a song of praise, a hymn of worship that led right into the main point of the sermon. But if I started with the Disney song, you might wonder what kind of mockery I was making of this relatively faithful pulpit. So I backed off on that idea for just a little bit. You might be kind of curious what song I would have chosen and how it might have sounded. I'll spare you the song still, but as I was preparing for Palm Sunday, the arrival of our king into Jerusalem, I couldn't help but wonder how other kings throughout history have arrived in the big capital city to make their presence known. So, of course, I thought of one of my favorite Disney movies when the genie turns Aladdin into Prince Ali and he arrives into the city of Agrabah with great fanfare. Prince Ali shows up and a bunch of people with him parading through the streets and the genie sings, Prince Ali, fabulous, he, Ali Ababwa. Genuflect, show some respect, down on one knee. Now try your best to stay calm. Brush up your Sunday salam and come and meet his spectacular coterie. What does that even mean? That's, a, that's an entourage, all the people surrounding him, all the people he brought with him. Prince Ali, mighty is he, Ali Ababwa. Strong as ten regular men, definitely. He faced the galloping hordes, a hundred bad guys with swords. Who sent those goons to their lords? Well, of course, Prince Ali. Prince Ali is rich and powerful and handsome, and he wants everyone in Agrabah to know all about it, especially the princess. Now, that's a bit of a ridiculous illustration, because that just is a cartoon, right, with a catchy song. Nobody really does that type of thing to show off how spectacular they are. Actually, they do. And it wasn't just an ancient custom. Even today, on the other side of the Pacific Ocean, there's a ruler of a small piece of land that's just about half the size of the state of Minnesota who tries to compensate for that size by showing off to the whole world, marching his army through the streets with his massive nuclear warheads. And not to be outdone, a president on the opposite side of the ocean threatens to 
parade his much larger and more sophisticated military throughout the streets of his country so all the world knows not to mess with him. So it seems if you want to show off how great you are, how wonderful of a ruler you are, you need to gather a large group of people around yourself with some really expensive merchandise and then make a lot of noise and wave your hands wildly and maybe a catchy song would, wouldn't hurt. But as we'll see from the Gospel of Matthew, the King of Kings doesn't need such fanfare. When you are confident in your authority and you know just how to wield it for the good of your people, you don't need to make up a, a big parade like Aladdin did. Jesus knew the extent of his authority and the power that he held and knew just what to do that was best for his subjects. So let's take a look at Jesus' relatively unspectacular entrance into Jerusalem in Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11. Now when they, Jesus and his disciples, drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the ground, on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, today is Palm Sunday, this wonderful day that we begin our Easter week celebrating the arrival of the king into the the capital city, the great holy city of Jerusalem. He has finally arrived to set out what he was sent on earth to do. What The whole reason he was born comes to this moment. And the king is now ready for his big reveal. He's arrived in the city of Jerusalem to make his authority known publicly. A secret which was actually kept quite hidden well for a while. So when Peter made... His great confession in chapter 16 of Matthew, Jesus asked him, who do you think I am? And Peter says, you're the son of the living God, the Christ, the Messiah. You are the king we expected. And Jesus said, yes, you're right. But why don't you keep that quiet for just a little while? Now isn't the right time. The king had a plan and he needed to carefully execute his plan in order to accomplish what he had set out to do. He couldn't afford anyone, no matter how well-intentioned like Peter, to upset his plan 
But now the time had arrived. He had traveled over a hundred miles from north of the Sea of Galilee by foot for this moment. Like a great emperor making a grand entrance into the city, Jesus arrives ready to turn the city upside down with his own royal pronouncement. But we'll see from the text that unlike any other ruler in history or in the movies, Jesus is a king, the king that our hearts long for, that our hearts desire, and the one that we should greatly fear. So the main point of our text today is that, and is also the outline of our sermon today, Jesus is the king that we should desire and fear. We'll first take a look at what's so desirable about this king. Why is he so wonderful? What's so great that our hearts should want to be with him? And then we'll explore why we should fear him. So first, look at the type of king that has just arrived in Jerusalem. I'll read the text again, just one through five. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied in a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble, and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. So Jesus, after a few years of ministry in Galilee, is ready for his big reveal in the capital city. As he approaches Jerusalem, he needs this really special way to make an announcement that everyone's going to understand where the king has arrived. And how does he choose to do that? Well, one might expect a grand parade with music and and a military following him, showing off his riches and his power, like Prince Ali showed off with a crowd of supporters singing a song and showing that he has a Very exotic animals, showing his wealth. Alexander the Great conquered the known world, entering into cities, perched high on a chariot that was covered in gold and statues all over it and draped in fine linens. And some modern rulers think apparently it's quite awe-inspiring to parade their large army with nuclear warheads around the streets. Seems wise in their own eyes. But Jesus' plan is to ride in on a donkey. And not just a donkey, but an unbroken colt of a donkey, a child donkey. A little farm animal that would one day be trained to carry goods to and from the market and the farm. Some, a simple form of transportation for a common person. This is possibly the lowliest animal that Jesus could have chosen to ride into Jerusalem. It's not a conquering war horse that has seen its share of battles. It's not an elephant so huge that it's nearly impossible to bring down. It's a donkey that anyone could just be shoved off. And along with him is a cohort of nobodies from Galilee. There's no massive army, just this ragtag group of backwoods, northern Galilean country folk. No wise men, no band of musicians. 
What do these people know about ruling God's land? What do they know about the politics in Jerusalem? This is like if you were to hop on your little bicycle with a group of your bicycle buddies and ride into Washington, D.C., and they're all shouting, here's the president, he's arrived. It's just foolish. You can see the citizens of Jerusalem wondering the same thing. Who's this guy in verse 10? Imagine the experience. You're a normal person in Jerusalem, walking about, doing your business. Passover week is arriving, so you're trying to get your stuff done in time for the festival. And you walk by the gate, and there's a lot of shouting. And this group of Galileans comes up to you and says, This is the king, this guy on a donkey, he's your king. What? This must be a joke, right? You can't be serious. I'm supposed to just bow down to this guy? But Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. It's not that he was just tired after a hundred mile journey and thought, ah, let me hop on a donkey for the last two miles and make my way into town. This was a strategic plan to boldly announce that he is the king of Israel. The Jews knew their scriptures. They knew the prophets speaking of a time when a Messiah would come and reign over all the world and subdue their enemies. And one of those prophets was Jacob in the book of Genesis. He gives a blessing to his son Judah. Who he says, someday, my son, long in the future, one of your great, great, great grandchildren is going to be king. He's going to be a ruler who shows up with a donkey and his colt tied to him. And he would secure the obedience of the nations with his garments soaked in blood. The prophet Zechariah picks up on this same theme and adds some detail to it. In Zechariah chapter 9, he predicts great peace arriving in Jerusalem when the king arrives on a donkey. And this is what Matthew picks up on in verse 5. He quotes Zechariah 9.9, saying that the king has come on a donkey to bring peace. He anticipated that this king is going to rule over every corner of the earth and bring such peace that there will be no more need to parade around your weapons. There will be no need for weapons. We can just lay down every effort for war because he will bring peace with his words. What a striking contrast this is to a world leader who likes to start fights or brag about his misdeeds on social media. Or what a relief it would be to have a king, a humble king like Jesus, speaking peace to us instead of a maniacal dictator who starves his own people in order to build up a massive army. We are rightly afraid to bring, to give such power to any single person because history has shown over and over again that these leaders will abuse that power. But the prophets of old spoke of a king who would ride into town, not on a war horse, but on a donkey, lowly and humble. He did not come to bring war, but peace. He didn't come to fight the people, but to fight for them, to die for them. He didn't come to make the people work for him, but for him to work for this people. So his next step wouldn't be to come into town and defeat the Roman armies stationed there. 
or to overthrow the religious leaders, the corrupt religious establishment. His first victory would be over sin and death on the cross. The king took upon himself the rebellion of the people. He took the punishment for our treason. Before conquering any nation, he conquered our greatest enemy, our own sinful hearts. This is the type of king we all desire. We want someone to show up and bring peace for us that we can trust. And our hearts were made for this type of surrender. We were made to want to just give in to his leading. Deep down, we know that we just want to let go, let our guard down, let him take control to bear our burdens and create the culture of peace that we so desperately want. We weren't made to carry such the weight of the world on our shoulders, yet we constantly try to control it ourselves. Only Jesus can carry that load. But so often, because we've seen that kind of authority abused in history or maybe even in our own time, we try to hold on to that control for ourselves. We cling to it. We desperately protect our little kingdoms. We fight to keep ourselves on the throne of our own lives. And it fills us with anxiety and frustration as we realize we aren't able to do it, but we don't trust anyone, even the great king of all kings, the king of the universe, to take it for us. But don't be mistaken. Even though this king arrived humble on a donkey, speaking words of peace, he will not leave any challengers to his throne. We saw that he came arriving on a donkey, bringing words of peace. But let's also take a look at why we should fear this king as well. Look back at the text in verses 6 to 11. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. So the disciples did just what Jesus had told them to do. They went ahead and there, of course, just like Jesus said, were a donkey and its colt waiting in the village for him. Jesus must have prearranged this somehow. Just It seems too easy, too obvious. The Lord needs them. Okay, they're all yours. So Jesus must have set this up. We saw that it was his plan to fulfill the prophecy. So Jesus sits on the young donkey and, and his entourage of peasants escorts him into the royal city, shouting, Hosanna! Literally, the word Hosanna means, save us, Lord! They recognized they were in some dire trouble. And this phrase is an expression of hope in God that he will send his Messiah to finally relieve them, finally bring them the peace they long for. It was a cry of hope that God would finally deliver them from their enemies. So, the question you might need to ask now is, who are his enemies? 
Who are Jesus' enemies? And what can a little donkey riding Galilean do about it? The Jews' greatest enemies, they thought, were the Romans who occupied their nation, who wouldn't let them worship as they wanted. And the Messiah was supposed to show up on the scene and single-handedly wipe out every one of their enemies, take over the entire Roman Empire. So notice what happens then as Jesus enters Jerusalem. Though he seems rather tame, verse 10 says the whole city was stirred up. This isn't a phrase that suggests, oh, everyone's super excited. We're all finally relieved that the king is here. They actually felt threatened. This stirring in Jerusalem should remind us the last time a king was announced in the city of David. Jesus' kingship was kept a fairly good secret throughout most of his adult life, but when he was born, as a baby, he also caused quite a stir in the city of Jerusalem. Back in Matthew chapter 2, we saw that when the Magi arrive and they come and ask the king, hey, where's the new king that was born? King Herod gets a little concerned, and he says in verse 3 of chapter 2, King Herod was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. Their concern was that somebody might be coming on the scene who would threaten their authority, upset their rule, take away the power that they had. And we know what happened at that time when they were stirred up. King Herod and the religious rulers plotted to try to kill Jesus. They slaughtered many children around Bethlehem in order to prevent this newborn king from rising up and taking their place. But we know that Jesus survived. He got away, he escaped, and now he is back in the capital city to claim his rightful place on the throne. So Jerusalem is quite concerned. The king that they had tried to kill is now back, and he is ready to destroy his enemies. The Roman authorities were concerned about an uprising, the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders thought that they were about to lose the control that they had fought for. And if anyone else really knew who Jesus was, fully who Jesus was, everyone on the streets should have been shaking in their boots as well. Remember when Jesus calmed the sea, he was with his disciples in a boat and the Sea of Galilee started tossing the boat side to side so that they were threatened to be tipped over and perish in the middle of the sea. And they cried out to Jesus to save them. And he stands up and says, peace, be still. And the waves stop immediately and the clouds part and you can see the starry skies and the reflection off the water. Everything is calm, but the disciples are trembling when they realize they are in the boat with God himself. And they are about to be destroyed because in their holiness, in his holiness, he should consume them in their sin. If Jesus were to come into Jerusalem as a conquering king, he would have to wipe out every single person in his sight. For we are all by nature children of wrath. Paul said in Colossians 1.21 that we are alienated from God hostile in mind toward him. Paul wrote in Romans that we are enemies of God. 
Jesus has the power and authority and the absolute right to call a legion of angels to his side and destroy every single person in Jerusalem and us along with him. Jesus is a king we should fear because he is holy and we are sinful and unclean. We should fear him like the disciples feared him in the boat. We should fear him like Isaiah feared for his own life when he realized he was in the presence of God, in the throne room of God, and he cries out, Woe is me! I am undone! I am a man of unclean lips from a people of unclean lips. We need to be saved from ourselves. We need to cry out, Hosanna, save us from ourselves. And so we see that's exactly what Jesus went to do. Paul reminds us in Romans 5, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Because of his great love for some of his enemies, he held back for just a moment in order to accomplish peace for them. Not a peace between nations by conquering them and forcing them into obedience with their, his boot on their necks, but peace between God himself and people. They cried, Hosanna, save us. And he came into Jerusalem to do just that. He rode into Jerusalem on a humble donkey to proclaim his authority as king and to symbolize the peace that he came to bring. And he did that not by overthrowing the Romans, but by going to the cross where he would pay for the sins of all those enemies who would lay down their weapons of war and their opposition to him and follow him. He gives us one last chance to surrender before one day he actually does come on that conquering war horse to finally put all of his enemies under his feet. So the question for all of us should be, where will we stand on that day? Will we lay down our lives willingly today and enjoy his kingdom of peace? Or will it be too late on that final day when, when it's too late, when we no longer have the option? Will you be welcomed into his caring arms or will you be crushed beneath his mighty feet? So as we head into Easter week, Good Friday and the Resurrection Sunday, consider where you stand with this King Jesus. If you've surrendered your life to him already, his peace is already dwelling in you. His authority in your life is a joyful blessing. King Jesus says to you, come all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. King Jesus says, I have not come to be served by you, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. King Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. And behold, I am with you always. Because of his victory over sin and death on the cross and his resurrection, all who trust in him are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither life nor death nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And this is the king that all of our hearts long for. 
This king achieves victory and peace for us on the cross. Yet if you're not in Christ, this is a king you should fear. The same king says, do not fear those who can kill the body and cannot kill the soul, but fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. This is a warning that he will not come again in peace, humble riding on a donkey, but next time he will come riding on a war horse. John writes of this final conquest of Christ in the book of Revelation, chapter 19. Then I saw heaven open and behold, a white horse. There it is. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. And on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure. Because they didn't have to fight, he did it for them. They were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with an iron rod. He will tread the winepress of fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is the King that we should fear if we remain in our sins. Don't wait another moment Today is the day of salvation for you, my friends, if you do not know Christ. Turn to him now for the peace that you so desperately want, because that day that's to come will not be pretty. Do it today before his patience is up. And if you do, when he returns, that will be a day of great rejoicing, not fear and trembling. That will be a day when The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, is yours. You will be one of those following behind him, pure and white, clothed, arrayed in fine linens, because his victory will be yours as well. Surrender your heart today to our Savior, our King Jesus. Let's pray. God, you spoke all things into creation. You just say words, and there it is. You have authority over every molecule, over every galaxy, and Jesus holds that authority as the highest king of all kings and lord of all lords. And we thank you that though we are full of sin, though we are unclean, though our minds are are hostile to you, though we speak curses with our lips. You sent your Son not to destroy us, but to save us. You could have just wiped us out and started over, but you promised to save a people who will turn from their sins and trust in you, and now his victory is ours We have victory over sin and death. Death is nothing for us to fear because King Jesus even conquered death. God, if there are any of us who have not surrendered to King Jesus today, would you soften our hearts? 
and call us into his peace, into his loving arms, into his rest. God, we long for that day. And though we cry out to our friends who don't know Christ yet, we cry out even more for Jesus to return and finally make all things new. Make that happen. We long for our resurrected bodies. We long to be in the presence of our King again. And even though you tarry, we still cry out, Come, Lord Jesus. May that day come soon and our hearts be prepared for it. Amen.